Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, there are bad weekends and good weekends, but when you talk about our state sports scene, between the Ducks, the Beavers, the Blazers, the Thorns, hell, even some of the small colleges, when you look around... Our state sports scene over the weekend, it was just, it was winning and winning and winning. It was dramatic. It was nationally televised. It was impressive. From Dan Lanning's performance against Chip Kelly, he outchipped him. We'll talk about it. To Jonathan Smith and the Beavers, they are bowl eligible and looking for more. To the Thorns, how dramatic and poetic. To the small colleges, to the Blazers. Are the Blazers going to go undefeated now? Now that I wrote them off before the season started, are they now going to go 82-0? Is that out there? We'll talk about all that on today's show. We'll take a ton of phone calls. I've got a lot to say on today's show. We'll talk about the media rights equation for the Pac-12 and the Big 12. It looks like it's coming to fruition in short order. But I want your phone calls. How much fun did you have? What was the most fun of the weekend? What did you make of... Dan Lanning and the Ducks, do you want them in a playoff or do you want them in the Rose Bowl? A lot of Duck fans are saying, hey, what's wrong with 12-1? and one? Others are saying, you know what, I don't think uh, the Ducks want any more of the top two or three teams in the country saw it in week one. I don't know. Uh, I'm left thinking, like, let's see what they look like in the next three or four or five weeks because I think Oregon – Playing at a different level. Bo Nix playing at a different level. Doing some things that he wasn't doing. Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator at Oregon, getting some things and making some things look easy. Meanwhile, Jonathan Smith and the Beavers just flying beneath the radar. I don't know if they like it. I don't know at some point if they will think that, uh, you know, feel like they are getting disrespected by not getting into the top 25 now, 6-2. and two. But uh, meanwhile, you got a great example, I think, down at the University of Miami of what can happen when you leave a good thing. Mario Cristobal struggling. Miami Hurricanes losing to Duke over the weekend. Really just struggling on the football field. I communicated a little bit with Mario Cristobal over the weekend. I think uh, I think he's upset at his team. I think he's upset at himself. I think he's upset at sort of the trajectory. Uh, publicly after the game, he just talked about how bad they have been on the field. And then, uh, you know, it got me thinking about Dan Lanning. Like, we've watched Mario Cristobal leave Oregon for Miami. We said he was going home. Gave him, uh, you know, gave him our blessing, most of us. Willie Taggart, we saw him leave the University of Oregon. He was going home. He's going to do something. Uh, we saw Chip Kelly leave for the NFL. At some point, Oregon's going to get a coach, and is it Dan Lanning, who is going to say, I'm the Oregon guy, and I'm going to stay here for a while. Now, maybe it's premature to anoint Dan Lanning just after – you know, what is his uh, sixth win of the season as the forever Oregon guy? 
Uh, we haven't seen a full season from him. We need a larger sample size. I want to see him recruit his players and coach his players. But he certainly on Saturday turned in what I thought was the most complete performance by any Oregon team probably since, I'm going to say it, probably since the Chip Kelly era. It was a dominant performance on the offensive side of the ball. It was a very good performance on the defensive side of the ball against a UCLA team that really has some weapons. And I thought the onside kick was brilliant. The fact that he went for it on fourth down, three for three in those scenarios, I thought it was brilliant. But uh, for those of you who liked the way that it sounded, um, I thought it was just a lot of fun, especially Troy Franklin catching Bo Nix passes. Nix plans. Ready to check it down the field. Bo Nix to the end zone. Dropped it in for Franklin. Oh, majestic touchdown. Wow. Was this a beauty? It was a beauty. He damn near brought rain with that pass. Just uh, threw a rainbow to Troy Franklin. I talked to Troy Franklin on the field after the game. I said, what'd that feel like? And he said, man, we practiced that. We have uh, practiced that and practiced that. So nice for it to happen in front of 59,000-plus people. Fourth largest crowd ever at Autzen Stadium. But I want your reaction to it. I care what you think. What did you make of Oregon's win? Did it make you believe that Oregon could play in a playoff? Did it make you think, you know what? Uh, I'd like to see Oregon play on, but, you know, a Rose Bowl would be enough. And Beaver fans, how are you feeling? sitting at 6-2 uh, and two and and bowl eligible at this point of the season. And Jonathan Smith uh, doing it with some toughness, doing it with defense, doing it running the football. Looks like he found a running back in Damian Martinez, who was the Pac-12 Conference Freshman of the Week last weekend. But a huge weekend for sports in our region in general. We'll talk all about it, and I want your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Let's go right out to the phones. Dennis is in Canby. Dennis, uh, what would you make of it? Oh, what a, what a great day. I got up at 6 with my son, and we sipped on some coffee, ate some pumpkin donuts, and the rest of the day was just amazing. But the, one of the best things I heard was my son got a picture from four of his friends that are seniors at Camby. They pulled into a gas station after the game, and there's Dan Lanning, and they got a picture with him, and he turned around and bought the tank of gas. <laughs> I, I love that. Welcome to Oregon, Dan Lanning. That's a, that's what Oregonians do. He's paying it forward already. I love that. I'm surprised he didn't pump the gas. You know, I think uh, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Love that. Thanks, Dennis and Canby. Appreciate that. Uh, you look. I think he pumped uh, pumped a lot of gas on Saturday in that stadium. Oregon looked really good. I thought. You know, it was interesting because at one point in the second half, I looked up. And UCLA had scored on every possession. They had scored on every possession that they had in the game. And they were down by 22 points. It reminded me a lot of the Chip Kelly era Ducks, where you couldn't kick field goals. You couldn't beat Chip Kelly kicking field goals. And here was Chip Kelly on three possessions early on kicking field goals, getting nine points when the Ducks were getting 21. So he was trading Dan Lanning field goals for touchdowns. And that's not a good trade. Now, today, the talk out of L.A., Dorian Thompson-Robinson said he wants another crack at the Ducks. Chip Kelly saying there are a lot of things they need to clean up, a lot of mistakes that they made. And I think a lot of people are looking at the uh, already looking at the path to Las Vegas, trying to figure out who's going to get there in what form and fashion. But, look, if you're a Duck fan that wants Oregon to play in a Rose Bowl, clearly you want Oregon in Vegas playing for the Pac-12 championship. But you probably, um, you know, are okay with whoever they play. 
But if you are a fan that wants to see Oregon play in the playoff, you may, you're going to need some help from the SEC teams because all things being equal, a one-loss Oregon head-to-head against a one-loss Alabama or a one-loss Tennessee not going to get put into the playoff. But if you can get some of those programs or maybe both of those programs with two losses, and it's conceivable that that could happen, and Oregon ends up playing USC, for example, a one-loss USC team in the Pac-12 championship game in Vegas, you could see Oregon getting another quality win against a highly rated opponent. It may be enough to get the Ducks into that playoff picture. And I also think, and I talked to Stuart Mandel of The Athletic at the game, and he wrote it, you know, he wrote a column today about, you know, would the playoff selection committee, you know, do the unthinkable? Would they would they go off of their normal to, uh, you know, they already saw Georgia and Oregon play. Would they, would they somehow put those two teams back in a matchup in the opening round of the playoff. And if you're Oregon, do you want that matchup? 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phones. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, welcome back to the conversation. Hey, go Ducks. I told you they are going to run into a buzzsaw at, uh, at Autzen. Uh, and it looks like the only one left on the schedule that is, uh, is a threat because we have the two tough ones at home. Uh, is the Beavers? But the one thing that really irritated me was watching the uh, watching game day, and they said we had zero chance of getting into the playoff, which is fine. But they don't have to. It's almost like flipping us off at at our own at our own yeah. Uh, venue. Yeah, and look, uh, and I get what you're saying when you look at the schedule, Gary, because Oregon will play at Cal on Saturday. Cal struggled this season. They'll go to Colorado uh, on November fifth. Colorado, anemic offensive team, doesn't doesn't seem like much of a game. Uh, Washington, though, will come to Autzen Stadium on no, on November twelfth. I think it's uh, I think it's good that Oregon gets that game at home. Washington has a very good offense, and Michael Penix Jr. might be the best quarterback in the conference. Might be. It's either Caleb Williams or Penix or Bo Nix. Uh, Utah goes to Oregon on November 19th, so it's back-to-back. It's Washington at home. It's Utah at home. And, yes, you are thankful that those games are at home, but let's not look past anybody in the Pac-12. And then Oregon is at Oregon State on November 26th, and, that game could be huge. Like, it could be Oregon State sitting on nine wins. It could be Oregon sitting on the cusp of an invitation to Las Vegas. Uh, the Beavers are really good at home. We know that. They are 9-1 and one in their last 10 at home. I think they could beat anybody at Research Stadium. Uh, but, uh, you know, I want to know what you're rooting for, what you're thinking, where is your mind. Let's go to Juan. He's in uh, Portland. Juan, welcome to the show. Hey, John. How you doing? Doing well, man. Yeah, and well, to answer your question, um, I'm definitely hyped for Rose Bowl. Um, I'm kind of being realistic, kind of how you said in a few weeks. We'll kind of see how it goes there. I'm not getting my hopes up, but um, I, I definitely feel this team is more incapable of how they'll be in six weeks or so. We'll see. But I just wanted to share my story with you. I wanted to go to college game day. It's something I always wanted to do. I seen the tickets were crazy high a few weeks ago, but I think the rain scared a few people away. So I got tickets. I dragged my son out of bed at three in the morning. We drove down to Eugene. Still dark out. He had a blast. He's eight years old, and uh, it was a great experience overall. That game was amazing. And uh, a funny thing, uh, people were talking about wanting to storm the field after the game and I started asking around are we like we really gonna storm the field for UCLA and luckily they didn't end up doing it but we had a great time 
team looks great. Go Ducks. Yeah, look, uh, fans were allowed onto the field, but they were told to wait five minutes. I was down on the field after the game. They waited till the players were off the field. Um, I, I keep looking around the country, and I keep asking myself, you know, college football, it, what's wrong with college football? What, you know, do, does does the college football playoff, and I'm using air quotes on college football playoff, it's a four-team invitational. What does it want to tell us at the end of the season? Does it want to give us the best team, or is this designed to give us two SEC teams plus two other teams that get in and, you know, arguably the best team in America? Like, I always, I always kind of feel like the one or two best teams get in, uh, but I'm always puzzled at sort of the third and the fourth teams that are taken because I think you can make arguments for several other teams to get in. I'm not going to feel good if Oregon is sitting at the end of the rainbow at 12-1 and one, and they are locked out of the playoff invitational because of the opening week loss to Georgia. Of course, some of us are going to say they shouldn't have played that game. Others are going to say, you know what, uh, they played that game and they got punched in the mouth. Others yet, I think, are going to say, hey, they played that game, but it was Dan Lanning's first game. It was Bo Nix's first game. Oregon's a much different team at this point of the season than it was in week one. I think that's what it looked like to me. I talked to Brock Heward this morning, the Fox broadcaster, and he was saying, you know, Oregon's doing some things on the field that they weren't doing several weeks ago, and a lot of that is Bo Nix. But what do you want to see? What do you want to see as a fan? You, you know, only you can answer for you. 503-417-7575. Mark and Bruce are holding. They're going to lead us off in the next segment. we got a couple lines open. I want you to grab them. It was a big weekend, and where are the Beaver fans? Beavers have a chance to get to 8, 9, 10 wins this season. It would be remarkable. Oregon State chasing a 10-win season. Uh, who would have thunk that would have happened when Gary Anderson left what was five years ago this month? He just threw in the keys and said, I don't want to be the coach anymore, and you can keep $12.6 million. It's a remarkable story that Jonathan Smith is engineering at Oregon State. I want your phone calls. More ahead. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Stephen, Judah Newby, I was at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. Fourth largest crowd ever to see a football game there. Electric atmosphere. Parked in the parking lot. Watched a hell of a game. Wrote a column. Filed it to johnconzano.com. Had a photographer there shooting the game. Filed a uh, photo gallery to johnconzano.com. If you haven't seen the photo gallery, you need to check it out. Uh, then I walked it through the parking lot, and it was raining. It was uh, gray skies, but... I just I walked out of there thinking I saw a remarkable performance by Oregon. It was just a airtight performance by Dan Lanning's team. Now I got to my car, you know every uh, every cloud has a silver lining. I uh, got to my car and uh, somebody hit my car on the way out of the parking lot. Somebody, uh, some driver who was leaving the parking lot, clipped the uh, the corner of my car, and I was bummed because I had parked nose in, and I debated backing in. Right before, and we've had this debate on the show. Should you back in? Should you go nose in? And I don't know if it would have mattered, but I went nose in, and I got clipped on the back left corner, driver's side corner of my car. But I got up to the car, and I saw the dent, and I went, oh, man. And then I got to the door, and my faith in humanity was restored. There was a little note there from a guy who said, hey, I feel really bad. I clipped your car. Here's my number. And I called the number. 
And the dude picked up and he said, hey, I'm really sorry. I clipped your car. Here's my insurance info. Like, that doesn't happen. Come on. So it was a good weekend on the field for the Ducks <laughs> and then a good weekend for John Canzano to get someone to answer his phone after getting clipped. Yeah, and I, I, he is back. I just felt like for a moment I was like, oh, damn, bad thing happened. And then, you know, like how many people would just drive off without leaving their number or leave a fake number? Yeah, or just know? like not answer your phone for the next like two days. Yeah. Like any random number. I'm not going to answer that one. This dude said, I felt really bad. I was navigating around pedestrians and accidentally clipped your car. I'm glad he hit the car and not the pedestrians. But what'd you guys make of it? Steven, Judah, what'd you make of the football game? What'd you make of Oregon, Oregon State, the big weekend for the for the state of Oregon Pac-12 teams? Man, I think you hit on it perfectly in the first segment with when UCLA goes down in that first drive, they get the field goal. I think that was so, it was such a Chip Kelly, when he coached Oregon thing. That was always a big thing is you can't settle for field goals. And the way this Oregon offense is rolling I just thought that that's, that can't be a good decision. You know, we had talked about maybe being more aggressive and trying to get it, you know, fourth and shorter and going for it because you're going to need touchdowns in this game. That's how the game was going to be built, and Oregon just dominated. Uh, but you know, we talked about also making a statement to try to get back into that college football playoff uh, talking point. They Oregon Ducks did that. They did that on Saturday, and I don't know how you can say that if they don't go 12 and one and win the Pac-12, that they don't deserve at least a shot because they are much improved now. Um, so it was exciting to see for Oregon. It's the uh, Kenny Dillingham show for me, you know, and I don't know if we're giving him enough credit. Maybe we are, but he's the Broyles Award winner in my mind. Like, obviously, there's a ways to go, but what he is scheming up is making Bo's job so stinking easy. Like, Bo doesn't have to do a whole heck of a lot except execute what he's physically able to. And I think he's very physically talented, but... Bo said it himself in the post game. Like the difference between his play this year and years past is the scheme and the talent around him. He didn't have the scheme at Auburn, and that's under Gus Malzahn. And uh, you know Dillingham never called plays for him at Auburn either. But Kenny Dillingham is on another level, man. He's going to be a head coach uh, soon before we know it. We're making all these Chip Kelly parallels to the Dan Landing program, but. I think Kenny Dillingham might be the Chip Kelly to to the Mike Bellotti. I think he he might be doing this for Dan Landing right now. All right, Arizona State's got to be salivating over him, but I would caution them too because I think you know you've got Bo Nix, an experienced quarterback. He he's got about four running backs and three receivers that you know, and a couple tight ends that he can really utilize. Um, I was talking to again to Brock Heward, the Fox broadcaster, and he had uh, he had figured out that that uh, Bo Nix this season has thrown 47 passes that were uh, essentially behind the line of scrimmage. 47 passes that were like a yard down the field or less. And a lot of those to running backs, a lot of those to receivers, that little screen they run out uh, with the receiver, uh, one blocks, one doesn't. Um, And uh, he was 44 or 47 on those passes. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering, does it translate to the next level for Bo Nix, who has one more year of eligibility but does not, uh, to me, does not sound like a guy who is uh, planning on sticking around Eugene next season. We'll see what happens. But I think Dillingham's getting him some easy things. The scheme that Oregon is running is making things very easy for Bo Nix right now. I think that's evident. And uh, a lot of fun to watch that. Uh, Let's go to the phones. We'll talk some more about this. Mark's in Portland. Mark, what would you see? Uh, I I just had a question for you. Uh, First, if if Oregon would have played Portland State to start the season instead of Georgia, what would – you know, what would they be ranked today? Yeah, so be, the yeah. strength of schedule thing is a joke. It's it all is. about your record. And Tennessee, uh, I'm sorry about that beep, and Tennessee and uh, 
uh, Alabama, if they end up with one loss, you're right, John. There's no way we're getting in. Maybe it's just me, but this UCLA game meant more to me, and I got more pumped up during the week than I will for a consolation now Rose Bowl. They've destroyed the Rose Bowl. We're going to play the runner-up in the Big Ten. We're not playing the Big Ten champion, which used to make it a traditional, the only thing close to a playoff. They destroyed that in 1998. So it's really frustrating for me because I don't care what the Pac-12 champion's record is. These teams are all pretty good teams, Utah, uh, USC, UCLA, you could throw Oregon State in there because they're just one play away from being right in the thick of it in, 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 in the conference. So I think the winner of this conference should control their own destiny like every other team sport on the planet. And when we don't speak like that, we're just playing into their control. We need, John, we need 8 to 12 teams in a playoff. We yeah. really do. I think you need 12. I think you need 12 to get at, to capture everything and to make sure that, um, you know, you at this point, I would love to see, like, if we had 12 teams in there, you'd get the Pac-12 champion. Let's just let's project it's Oregon. And then you would get, you know, maybe the runner-up. Maybe it's USC. Maybe it's UCLA sneaking in at 10, 11, 12. But under the current scenario, you know, it's going to be Georgia, probably. It's going to be Ohio State. It's probably going to be one other SEC team, either Tennessee or Alabama, and it leaves one spot for somebody else. And, you know, maybe it's Clemson. Maybe maybe it's Oregon. Uh, Michigan, I think, is the team. If Oregon goes to a Rose Bowl, I think Michigan is the team they end up playing. I do think it's a very winnable game. I don't think it's a very – I don't think it's a dynamic Michigan team. But, you know, they're sitting currently four in the AP rankings. They're undefeated. And if you were Oregon, I think you would uh, – You'd love to have the non-conference schedule that some of these other teams are playing. And, and look, Oregon got $4.5 million to play that game. Oregon didn't have to play Georgia. Oregon signed on to play. Mario Cristobal wanted to play Georgia. He wanted to recruit, and he wanted to recruit head-to-head with Georgia, and he wanted to be able to tell the recruits, you're going to play in these kinds of games, and that's fine. But Dan Lanning inherited the game, and because... It was week one, and Georgia's really good. Like, if they played again, I, I picked Georgia to win, and I picked Georgia to win easily, but it doesn't mean Oregon doesn't belong in the playoff. It, it just doesn't, because I would pick Georgia over whoever was sitting at the four spot in that playoff. And, and again, it's not a playoff. It's an invitational tournament. They're just inviting four teams. It's not, you know, a playoff would have automatic berths. It would have multiple teams. It would have conference champions in it we got to stop calling it a playoff until they expand it. Bruce is in Portland. Bruce, what do you got? Hey, John. What a weekend for Oregon sports, man. Speaking of recruits, there was a whole bunch of them at this game, you know, watching Oregon whoop on UCLA. That was the best performance I've seen Oregon uh, put out in a long time all around. I mean, they played smart. They didn't have any stupid penalties. Um, It was a complete game. It was so cool to see. I went down Friday night, and then my buddy and I went to game day. Friday or early Saturday morning, like everybody said, we were fortunate enough to get backstage, which was really cool, up close and personal with all the uh, celebs back there. Um, then I watched Oregon whoop on UCLA, and then I made it back Saturday night and got to go watch the Thorns in impressive fashion yeah. win in stoppage time. It's the only bummer about the women's uh, pro soccer league is it's a set location for the championship game, and this year it's in Washington D.C., which kind of sucks. I wished. They followed the men's uh, protocol and had the best team host, but uh, maybe someday they'll do that. Yeah. Uh, hey, look, and for people who haven't seen Crystal Dunn's goal, 
from yesterday. That was uh, one of the all-time amazing Portland sports moments. I mean, if you think about the circumstances surrounding the Thorns organization, the turmoil, the unrest, how about the fact that she gave birth five months ago? Give me a break. Like, uh, that was just a remarkable scene. And how about the Beavers on Saturday night? Jonathan Smith under the lights at Research Stadium. Uh, they mopped up Colorado. Marks and Beaverton wants to talk about it. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, John, I want to... I'm proud to be the first caller in today for uh, talking about the Beavers. It was a magnificent game. Um, and I just want to say thank you or thank you for the photographer yeah. for, uh, for all the photos. I mean, if he has a drone, I would love to see some aerial <laughs> shots of Reeser state or yeah, Reeser at night. But that picture he had in the end zone was, was awesome. I'd like to say that I'm over the 26 years of futility when Oregon State didn't have a winning record. I have to admit I'm just a little, little tiny bit scared about the Washington game, but this season's been a game of first, Wazoo, Fresno State. I would love to see them beat Washington and have that be another first. Yeah, be- yeah here's the thing. I mean, and for people who haven't seen the photo, if you go to johnconzano.com, um, I had a photographer – uh, I had photographers on both games. We're shooting a lot of Pac-12 games this season at Utah and Colorado and Arizona and other places. But Najee Soccer was on the game, and he um, had not shot before for JohnConzano.com. It was his first game, and but I saw his stuff, and he's really good. And I was like, okay, I want to see what this guy can do. And he took a photograph from the corner of the end zone at Research Stadium as the sun is setting. So the sun is setting. And the east side of the grandstand, the the full side of the stadium, has the sunlight shining on it. But the lights are on on the stadium. And the game is going on. And the skies are just dark. You know, it was that dark, rainy night, of course. And it just was glowing. And I saw that photograph, and I literally sat down on Sunday morning. I was going to write about the Beavers anyway. But I sat, I put that photograph on the top of the column. Uh, and, and it's the column that's titled Eyes on the House that Jonathan Smith Built. And it's true. Jonathan Smith, like, you can give credit to Dennis Erickson. You can give credit to Bob DeCarolis, the athletic director who raised Research Stadium. But Jonathan Smith was the quarterback for Dennis Erickson. He has come back in the wake of Gary Anderson, in the wake of Mike Riley leaving to Nebraska, and he has resurrected Oregon State football in a way that is uh, very special, like, you know, I think if you look at the trajectory and look at what Jonathan Smith has been saying over the last four or five years, it has gone from him saying, you know, hey, we just want to be competitive in games to, hey, we want to win games to, hey, we want to win all the games. Like he said that at Media Day this year. And Stephen and I, I Stephen, I remember talking about that. Like he said, I want to win them all and go to Vegas. They're sitting at 6-2. and two. They've got Washington. They've got Cal. They have Arizona State. Like they could be 9-2 and two heading to the – game formerly known as the Civil War, and guess what? They got it at home. Like, this is really interesting, what is going on at Oregon State. And it wasn't that he wants to win them all. He said, we can win them all, right? If He goes, he said, if we play our best, we could be 12-0. Like, that's how good he thinks his team is. And, you know, th- th- he's not wrong, right? They should have beaten USC, and the Utah game was a tough circumstance, so they should have one loss realistically on the season. They'd be right in the middle of Pac-12 uh, Chase right there, and like you said, go into that Oregon game at the end of the season. It's in Corvallis. We've touched on that a lot. That defense is awesome in Corvallis. That'll be a really fun matchup. I just I think it's really interesting to kind of watch the trajectory of the program 
and see where they are today versus where they were, you know, five years ago this month. Gary Anderson quit, threw in the keys. And the thing is, is this is with an average quarterback at best, right? Like he still yeah. hasn't got his best quarterback to play there. I mean, Gold Branson can do some things, Nolan can do some things, but you know, if we're being honest, they're average quarterbacks in the Pac-12. If they ever get an elite quarterback, I mean, how good can this team be? And I also think that they're getting it done running the ball. They're getting it done with defense. The schedule this season lines up for them nicely. They get, you know, they had USC at home. They have Oregon at home. Those are their two big, tough home games. They damn near beat USC. And if you're an Oregon fan, if you haven't been watching Oregon State, you know, look, I think Oregon's more talented. I do. But the game's at Reeser Stadium. And when that happens, I thought USC was more talented as well. And they, they were lucky to get out of there with a win. Mike's in Portland. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey John, uh, you know what? All all the Beavers, I mean, all the Ducks have to do is win out and beat USC in the uh, Pac-12 championship, and you should be in. Bama, Bama will have two losses. Clemson doesn't have strength of schedule. That just leaves uh, uh, Ohio State uh, beating Michigan, and then the dream matchup for me is Tennessee versus the Ducks. I'm a Tennessee yeah. guy. Yeah, you're going to need Georgia. Georgia and Tennessee are going to play, and then. You know, possibly Georgia plays Alabama, and you need Georgia. To, I think you need Georgia to continue to win as well, because I think you need to put some losses on Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, and I also am not convinced that a playoff committee would take an undefeated Clemson team and take a one-loss Oregon team over them. I just don't think that would happen. So I think Oregon has its work cut out for it. And look, don't get mad at the people on game day for saying, like, for Reese Davis saying, "Hey, it's too big an albatross. Nobody's going to forget 49 to three." Don't be mad at them for saying it. Because I think they're echoing what the selection committee would say. Judah, you agree that the selection committee is going to walk in there? If like if Oregon doesn't do a whole bunch more like they did last Saturday against US, UCLA, I think the selection committee is going to walk in there and go, nah, I don't want to see 49-3 to again. Let's leave Oregon out. Yeah, it's a true statement. Uh, I think Gary and Tualatin's point is well taken, though. There is some showmanship uh, to, to the game day production of saying that on the uh, Autzen campus. They're not wrong. And it's Clemson that's going to be the thorn in the side here. Because Clemson has Notre Dame, Louisville, Mario Cristobal, and then South Carolina. And they're going to win all those games. And I don't know if Clemson's better than Oregon. Are they going to win all those games, though? Yeah, I know. That's the, <laughs> you know, it would be the, it would be the best thing ever is Mario Cristobal beating Clemson Dude, to help Oregon. That would be the best thing ever. I, I texted that. with Cristobal over the weekend. He, he's in a bad way, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, he's in, boy. I, I just sent him a note of encouragement because, you know what, I, I, I noticed like a lot of people reach out to coaches when they're winning. Hey, great job. Remember me. <laughs> I sent him a note, and I said, you know what, better days ahead. I, and and no, but nobody needs to tell him that. I think he knows that. I think it and, – and here's the other thing. If you're, if you're an Oregon fan, you're probably looking at Mario Cristobal and you're going, hey, hey I remember some of that. Like, you know, there were some games where – there were quite a few times where I felt like, you know, even on Saturday I'm watching Dan Lanning's team and I'm going, Mario would never do that. Like, he would never onside kick like that. He would never run some of the plays that Oregon was running. You know, I thought Dan Lanning and Kelly, Kenny Dillingham did some things to kind of, uh, to you know, they did the swing and gate. Did you see that down on the goal line? It was like, yeah, it was a little ode to Chip Kelly going on. You know, they were look, looking at him just a little bit. But uh, Cristobal texted me back and he said, hey, we knew there was a ton of work to do here. We're working our way to building a juggernaut. 
He said, happy to see the Ducks kicking butt and proud to know the role we played in reestablishing the brand. Now, John, I haven't been here that long, but, you know, you guys changed the 5 at 5 to more happy thoughts. Now you're texting coaches when they're down. Is this just more positive, <laughs> more positive John Kazan right now? That's me, lifting brand. the world up. <laughs> Big old brand switch going Lift, on right here. Lifting the world of college football. I just noticed, like, I... I'm going to take I, credit for it. <laughs> I generally, I'm in loose communication with a lot of coaches, like, you know, loose, like, meaning, you know, sometimes they'll reach out and they'll ask me something or and sometimes if I have a question I reach back out and I try not to just ask people things or send them a text when I need something you know how that goes like some you know you ever hear from people who only text you when they need something like over the weekend I texted Judah and you and said hey how do I get the Niners when they're when they're blacked out they're not on my local Fox affiliate like you know you don't want to be the guy who's just texting when you need something all the time. So I thought, you know, this would be a good time to give Mario Cristobal a little encouragement. Have you uh, texted Helfrich lately? I have not. I have not texted him. But I did write that I felt like he would be a good candidate at Colorado. How about that? That would be good. Get him back in the game. All right, more phone calls. More phone calls. We're going to do Punch It Audio next, but we got a lot of people want to say stuff. We'll take your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Get it in. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Seven unbeaten teams in major college football. Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, and TCU. All uh, all sitting uh, at uh, 7-0 or 8-0. Excuse me, Alabama's got one loss. So six uh, undefeated teams. Um, look, I know... You don't want to play Georgia, Ohio State. Maybe you don't want to play Tennessee or Alabama if you're a Pac-12 team. But I'll tell you, you really don't want to play. You don't want to play Oregon right now. The way that Oregon is playing, the way that Bo Nix is playing, you don't want to be meeting Oregon right now. And I think, uh, you know, there's some big games looming. Oregon's still got to prove itself. It's still got to win. It's still got to beat Washington. It's still got to beat Cal this weekend. It's got to beat Utah. It will have to go to Oregon State and win. But if Oregon is sitting there at 12-1 and at the end of the rainbow and their only loss is the week one loss to Georgia, they better get busy changing the narrative. Uh, let's talk about that. What is the narrative? Well, we gotta, you got to start selling the idea that something magical has changed. And I think Oregon did a little bit of that on Saturday against UCLA. You know, They look so darn good. Bo Nix looks so good. Uh, I think you need to talk a little bit more about that. I'll be uh, I'll be interested interested to see if Dan Lanning does any kind of campaigning. I did think at the end of the game, guys. What did you make of this? Did you like that Oregon kind of shut it down at the end of the game, or did you want to see them try to put one more in there and make a little bit more of a stylistic statement against UCLA? No, I was fine that they uh, that they kind of shut it down, but our style point. Like, do you really have to have style points in order to you know make the college football playoff? Like, I don't know. To me, that it feels like sprinkles on the ice cream when you haven't even had dinner yet. Like, you, you got to just keep winning the football games, and I, I didn't mind it. If you watch that football game at all, like, you know that Oregon controlled a game in which they were the lower-ranked team, and they controlled it from very start to very finish. Like, to me, an extra touchdown at the end wouldn't add anything. Like, this isn't BCS. The BCS computers would need the style points, but I don't think people voting for the CFP needs needed to see that. It, yeah, yeah, I want to. I want to yeah. agree with Judah, uh, but I do think a twenty point win looks better than a fifteen point win for how little it is. But I agree with you. I think the main thing is is you just need more national people putting that you know narrative out there, right? Like you're saying, John. Like 
this is a changed team and it's different from week one. Like, let's just throw week one out the window and it's a completely different team. And bring up examples why I think it's starting to happen a little bit. I saw Joel Klatt. Uh, I'm sure we can get to it and punch it maybe or something, but he talks about how he, you know, he's pushing for Oregon to get to the CFP if they win the Pac-12. Like, things that have to change and you need the national people to start talking about it. I also don't but, think you yeah. do that to Chip, though. You don't you don't yeah. throw the ball to get a three-score win on Chip. Like, that's kind of a respect thing. Yeah, but they also kind of just, they could have run the ball. And yeah. even, you know, there was a running play late. The running back kind of slid down instead of, you know, trying to put his head down and barrel forward. And I what kept ringing in my ears was, and I agree with you, like, I wouldn't have poured it on against Chip Kelly either. I don't think it was a classy thing to do. But I also... Uh, in the back of my mind was thinking, you know, it was the style of the week one loss that really is the stigma over Oregon. And, you know, be, and, and Oregon dominated the game. I, they kicked UCLA's ass. They dominated that game. The 15-point spread at the end of the game was not reflective of how dominant they were in the game. Like, I never – Oregon was in control. They could not be stopped. And they stopped UCLA and, and for, turned UCLA into a field goal kicking operation. Uh, let's go to the phones. Tony's in Oregon City. Tony, what'd you see? Hi, John. I thought it was. I agree with Judah. It was a complete game from the beginning to the end. That was the style points. That was the fact and the and the point that they were trying to make. Um, they didn't need to rub Chip's nose in it. If you watched it on TV, you saw Chip take it in before the game, and you saw Chip take it in at the end of the game. He was saying goodbye. At that being said, I would like to put push out there that um, Bo Nix should be up for Heisman Trophy. People should be starting to talk about him. Thank you. Yeah, a win like that, I think, puts him in the conversation, whether people like it or not. And look, I've got a Heisman vote. So does John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. We talk about this stuff all the time. I try not to tell other Heisman voters what they should do with their vote, right? It's kind of like, you know, you, you you know you always have friends that are telling you how to vote in an election. Like, everybody should be voting for themselves. But I'll tell you, like, I do recognize that there are two players in the Pac-12 conference right now that I think are standing out when it comes to that conversation. And, um, you know, one of them is Bo Nix, and the other one is the kid at Utah, Cam Rising. Like, I... He's just the toughest, might be the best competitor in the conference. And Caleb Williams is, is probably my third pick, but I think Caleb just had a couple of games in there where he threw for under 200 yards, and I went, okay, you know, he's kind of uh, fell to the backdrop of this thing. But people in Utah today are talking about the idea that they could run the table this season and not get to the Pac-12 championship game because of some of the tiebreakers. Now, I've asked the Pac-12 for some clarification on some of the tiebreakers because when you get into multiple team tiebreakers, it gets confusing. And we could end up with a scenario at the end of the year, let's just say Utah goes to Odson Stadium and wins. Let's say that um, USC or UCLA, somebody suffers another loss. They both end up with two losses because they play each other. And you have four or five two-loss teams sitting at the end of the season. What do you do now? Like how to you know it's supposed to go to the record against the next highest, you know, person or what? and it, there's about a 75% chance that if Utah wins all the rest of their games they get to Vegas. Um, and people in Utah are going, "Well, wait a minute. There's only a 75% chance that we could be a two-loss team that we get to Vegas." Like I think it's that convoluted right now between, let's face it, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Utah, and don't count out Oregon State, I think those five teams right now all are going, hey, if we all win out, 
we get to Vegas. Yeah, there's about a 75% chance if Oregon State wins out that they could play in Vegas for the Pac-12 championship. So keep an eye on all these tiebreakers. And, and here's the bigger thing. Like, Judah, you said it. You know, you just got to win your games. Kyle Whittingham said that today. He echoed Judah Newby. He's, he just, people are asking him, like, what happens if this? What happens if that? He goes, we just need to win our games. We win all our games, and, and we're not good enough to go to Vegas, then we can talk about it then. Isn't it a great time of year, though? Because it's, it's just kind of like, you know, a little, not spring training, but how they say uh, hope springs eternal at the yeah. beginning of a baseball season. We're midway through a football season, but anything is possible for yeah. Any of these top Pac-12 teams. I think Oregon's got the highest ceiling nationally, but from a conference standpoint, anything is possible for, you know, one through five if you're including the Beavers. Yeah, I think or, you, yeah. even myself as not even an Oregon fan, I'm getting a little over my skis with Oregon thinking they're going to be, you know, running the table to get to Oregon State. Like, that's not a given, right? They play Utah. Even that Cal game, you know, proves to be close as Washington barely pulled out or, you know, won last week in Saturday. Like, nobody's ran the table in the Pac-12 since Oregon did it. So, you know... One of these games could be an upset somewhere. John, good yes. th- good thing Wilcox didn't take the job, huh? Well, I don't know. And that's people keep saying that. <laughs> and and look, I think you have to be really happy with Dan Lanning, Kenny Dillingham. But my how do I put this? My suspicion is that if Justin Wilcox would have taken the head coaching job at Oregon, that he might be sitting in a similar position. Wow. In part because I do believe Kenny Dillingham would still be the offensive coordinator. I think Tosh Lapoy would be on the defensive side of the ball. I think Adrian Clem would be coaching the alignment. I think uh, that coaching staff was handpicked for Dan Lanning, in part with Oregon, with him consulting on it. I think Oregon was already, I think part of the reason why jo- uh, Justin Wilcox did not take the Oregon job was because he was told that Oregon was going to select the staff for him. So, Dan Lanning. Justin Wilcox, I think there's a pretty good chance they'd both be sitting maybe 6-1 and one at this point. But I think if you're an Oregon fan, you've got to be thrilled with what you got. And you're looking over at Wilcox going, man, he's really struggling at Cal right now because, uh, you know, you wouldn't trade players right now if you're Oregon with Cal. You know, you're not going to be 6-1 and one with Cal's players. But I don't know. I, I think sometimes things work out because where they're supposed to work out, like Chip Kelly – ends up as the offensive coordinator at Oregon after Gary Croton, after Andy Ludwig. You know, they were cycling through coordinators. They found Chip Kelly when they did. It just so happened Mike Bellotti was ready to go retire. He went off into the sunset. Chip Kelly took it over. Sometimes things happen because they should. Mario Cristobal gets the job because Willie Taggart leaves after a year. Everybody was mad. Cristobal looked like an upgrade of Taggart. Now Cristobal leaves to go home, and Dan Lanning looks better than Cristobal. Like, sometimes... It just happens as it should happen, right? I guess so. Do you know something? You know, do, do, from what you know from your intel, your reporting, like that Dan Landing did not handpick his coordinators, and that he played was, a role. Okay, he played a role because he was talking about, hey, I, I write down names he in had my a notebook list, yeah. as I'm an assistant. Like I knew Kenny, I knew him from his Memphis. Like, yeah. like I wanted all these guys, and you're saying Rob kind of came over the top with whoever was going to be the coach. I think Oregon. It, it look. It, let's just speak about Justin Wilcox because I think Oregon told Justin Wilcox, "You can have this job, but here are the assistant coaches we want, and we're going to go hire the assistants." And I don't think he wanted to work that way. Right. He wouldn't say it at, at Pac-12 Media Day. I asked him, and he said, someday we will have a long talk. That's where he left it. But that is what I have heard. I have heard that Oregon put the staff together, that Oregon sort of knew who they wanted to hire, and they wanted Dan Lanning to be the head coach. I mean, and I'm sure he played a role in it, 
But I think I think Oregon already kind of knew that it was going to get ten, Kenny Dillingham as the coordinator and pay him more than anybody else. And you know, I'm sure Dan Lanning's relationship with him helped. But let's just let's just appreciate that it came together in the way it did right now because it looks pretty good for now. I think I think Dillingham's probably going to get the Arizona State job based on what he did on Saturday and where Oregon goes. So uh, that'll be a problem for another day if you're Oregon. Leave it here. Our, our big splash coming up. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. I watched the Niners yesterday. I watched the Niners play yesterday. I had trouble finding the game. I eventually found it. But I watched them. They didn't look good against Kansas City Chiefs. Turns out Christian McCaffrey doesn't make Jimmy Garoppolo better. Uh, Niners struggled against the Chiefs. NFL feels so wide open. What do you guys make of the NFL right now as you look around the league? Seems like it's the Bills and everyone else. Like, for me, like, you say it's wide open. I kind of disagree. I think it's the Bills, and after that, it could be a lot of different teams. So it is wide open after the Bills. So I'll give you half credit. Yeah. I think the Chiefs are still in there. Yeah. It's still 1A, 1B to me. But, but when you look around, like, the Bills are 5-1, and one, the Jets are 5-2, and two, everybody else is, like, 4-3, and 3-4, and 3-3. and three. You know, it's, uh, you know, and the Eagles are undefeated, but I don't believe in the Eagles. And there's the New York Giants at six and one. I don't really believe in them either. You and know, I, your Niners you know? started three and five last year and yeah. ended up in the NFC title. Yeah, I guess you got to put it together. You but. forgot to mention uh, Judah Seahawks leading the division. They're running the ball. Such that's a great team. It's a Super yeah. Bowl team. What can right. I say? This brings us to our big splash. The one thing you need to know. <laughs> The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the Big Splash. Well, the freshman of the week in the Pac-12 is Oregon State running back Damian Martinez, 178 yards against Colorado. Offensive lineman of the week, Alex Forsyth of the Oregon Ducks. The Pac-12 defensive player of the week, Oregon State defensive back Alex Austin. And the Pac-12 offensive player of the week, Bo Nix at Oregon. Just about a sweep, if you think about it. Only the defensive lineman of the week, Washington's Braylon Trice, uh, did not. was the only player who was not playing for a program in the state of Oregon. Cleaned it up. Oregon and Oregon State like to see that. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. We're going to play some punch and audio here in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll take more phone calls, 503-417-7575. This isn't one of those shows where I go, you know what, I, I'm going to talk. I'm going to do the talking. I will do my talking, but I want to hear from you as well. I want to hear what your experience was watching Oregon, watching Oregon State, watching your Blazers undefeated. Red Hot, 82-0 Blazers. Uh, you tell me what you see out there. If you're a Thorns fan and you were moved by the performance of the Thorns and what was a remarkable goal in stoppage time, 503-417-7575. We're going to take one phone call, then we're going to go right into Punch and Audio. Jason and Tualatin, lead us off here in the 4 o'clock hour. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. 
Hey, I got. I'm sorry to be to rain on your love fest here for the Ducks, but I don't think you guys are being honest with yourself. I mean, how can you guys just casually forget that 46 point blowout to Georgia and say that they belong in the national contention? I mean. I, yeah, I mean, I'm at a loss for words. And I mean, yeah, you, yeah, but, kind of... you know, look, we see teams all the time in other sports, in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, and, you know, how are the Phillies in the World Series? They won the games that counted. They're a better team now than they were at the beginning of the year. And so I think what we're talking about is, look, in a sport where you get to pick who you play in the non-conference, you're, you're essentially penalizing Oregon for going in week one to Atlanta to play Georgia. Yes, they picked up $4.5 million, but it was game one for Dan Lanning. It was game one for Bo Nix. They got punched in the nose by what might be a team that's going to punch a lot of people in the nose. And how do you discount Oregon and say, look, we're going to take another one-loss team that didn't bother to play a tough non-conference game, Jason? Like, how do you, Why do you penalize the team that took the game? Oh, no, no, no. But here's the thing. Maybe if they lost by three points or something, but they got they got embarrassed. They got yes. ran out of the – and it was just a yes. reminder to Bo Nix why he didn't belong in the SEC. And so, yeah, you're right. He looked great against UCLA, but when you go up to a higher level of competition, he, he becomes real average. And that was just that was just plain to see. And, and the thing is, is just that, I mean, he, he couldn't even really make it in the SEC. And that was just a subtle reminder that that yeah. game was. What if what if Georgia and Ohio State are just that much better than everybody else? Like, and there's where I think. Look, do I believe Oregon should be the one seed, the two seed, the three seed? No. Like when you lose forty nine to three, but if it comes down to a one loss Oregon against, you know, a one loss Michigan or a two loss Alabama, I'd rather see Oregon get in there and get another shot. You'd really want to see him play Georgia again. Well, I, t- I tell you, I would bet against him. I said it in the first segment. But, but I, I just think, I, we may, Jason, it may be true that Georgia is just that good. Like, maybe Georgia would have beat everybody on that day in a home game, a home opener, first game after their national championship. Maybe they would have beat everybody by 40 points. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Hey, yeah. thanks for the call. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I don't mind a descending viewpoint because, look, there is part of me. Look, I'll be real. There's part of me when Jason and Twalton calls in that goes, look, Maybe the best-case scenario for Oregon is to end up fifth or sixth and have a really nice one-loss season, get matched up against Michigan in the Rose Bowl, go to the parade, beat Michigan, you know, end up with in Dan Lanning's first season with a Rose Bowl championship and, you know, a game that you, can, you know you can get in there and you can be really competitive in it if not win it. And, because the alternative is, yes, you get to the playoff, and I think there's a faction of Duck fans out there, if we're being real, that don't want to see Oregon in the playoff for that very reason because they go, hey, nah, nah, not on that level yet. Not there. May not, may never be there. Well, that's like when Washington get to the, got to the playoff, just got crushed by Alabama, wasn't even yeah. close of a game. Like, would they have rather gone to just the Rose Bowl and have you know, an actual game? Was, I'll have to ask Chris Peterson that. Same thing in 19, right? Or Herbie's final year where they lose to Arizona State. That keeps him out of the playoff. If they go to the playoff, they're the four seed against Burrow, Chase, Jefferson, and LSU. <laughs> and that ended up being Kyler in Oklahoma, and they got crushed. Yeah. And Oregon ended up winning the Rose Bowl by a point over Wisconsin. And that kind of felt better than getting your ass kicked in the CFP. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting when they expand, because I think the conversations are going to change. 
one, you, nobody's going to get punished for taking like a Georgia game in week one because it won't hurt you because if you win your conference championship, you're probably going to get one of those top six seeds anyway. And, and you're going to see the opening round games be home games for the higher-seeded team. So like in this season, if there was an expanded playoff, Oregon could just be going, look, you know, they're trying to get into the top four because they want to buy. But if they don't get into the top four, you know, the bottom eight teams will play off and Oregon will probably get a home game if they are, you know, seeded five, six, seven, or eight. That's how it's going to work. You know, the top four will get buys, five through 12 will play, and five, six, seven, eight will be home teams in the opening round. Uh, presumably that's what's going to happen. And then the second round will be bowl games. And a lot of people are wondering, where does the Rose Bowl fall in there? Well, the Rose Bowl might end up being a quarterfinal or a semifinal game. Not going to be the national championship site, but it, but you know, it's a good debate. Like I, my my Twitter feed and my phone was blowing up, and during the game with Duck fans who were going, "If we go twelve and one, we need to be in this thing." And then for every person who said that, there was another Duck fan that was going, "You know what? It's great that they're doing this, but I'd rather see them in the Rose Bowl because I want to finish this season with a win and set the table for maybe next year." Here's another one for you guys. What should Bo Nix do, guys? Because he's got two years of eligibility. But he, when he came on this show, he talked about it, his class load, everything. He said, he actually said out loud, I only have one more year of school. He kind of tipped off that this is going to be it for him. And I think he's hoping that he plays well enough to get into an NFL camp and make a roster, and he just wants to get on with his life. But should Bo Nix be interested in coming back for another year? I mean, he'd be successful, right? Like, if they get Dillingham back, I think that might in, like entice Kenny Dillingham to stay at the Oregon if Bo Nix is back, so he has that veteran quarterback. But at the same time, if you're Bo Nix and your dream is to get to the NFL, your value is probably not going to be any higher, right? He's thrown three interceptions this season, and it happened two against Georgia and that Washington State pick six. Besides that, he hasn't really made uh, a bad like throw to be intercepted. So, I mean, I don't know. It's tough. I, if I was him, I would leave because I don't think his value is going to be ever higher, and I would agree with you. I'd want to get to the NFL. Yeah. What are, you, what are the odds that Kenny Dillingham's back next year? If Dillingham's gone, I would expect Nix to be gone as well. But I'm just trying yeah. to gauge it. Like, John, from what you're feeling, your spidey senses, like, is he a shoe-in for either ASU or another gig? Is that inevitable, or like, what should Ducks fans be preparing for? Because that kind of yeah. impacts how are you viewing this season? Because this is a special year because of both Bo and Kenny. Like, if one or both of them are gone next year, you can't really channel a whole lot from this season and you know extrapolate that to 2023. In my opinion, yeah, I think you got to you got to start looking right now because I think if this holds up. I mean, it's the it's the uh, blessing and the curse. You hey, you went twelve and one, but oh yeah, you went twelve and one and you scored forty points a game on offense. <laughs> Guess what? Arizona State's hiring your coordinator because he's got ties to Arizona State, and I think Arizona State would be foolish right now to not have Kenny Dillingham uh, one or two on their list. And the Colorado job, uh, I think it's really interesting that you know people are talking about Colorado. I think it's a tougher job, but. How about Brett Brennan at, at uh, San Jose State? It, he's a guy that has got some connection to the Pac-12. Keep an eye on Brennan, even though um, you know San Jose State has not had the same success. They're four and two this year. They're into conference play, and you know in non-conference play they had to play Auburn. Uh, they had to play. Uh, you know they lost at Fresno State. Uh, you know a week ago, and then they postponed their last game after unfortunately they had a player pass away. But Brett Brennan is a guy I think Colorado's probably going to look at. But I, 
I think it's likely if Oregon is in Vegas that Kenny Dillingham is going to Arizona State. I mean, I just think it, he makes a lot of sense for them. So, you know, that's just the the nature of the game. There are very few cases in the conference where a team would have, you know, 12-win success, 11-win success, and not have their assistant coaches poached. Like, I think Oregon State's in, in jeopardy. You know, you look at the offensive coordinator, Brian Lindgren, you look at Trent Bray on the defensive side of the ball, look out. If that holds up, I think, you know, there are going to be people who come calling. And, you know, Utah's got a really interesting scenario because they've got Kyle Whittingham as the head coach. He's not going anywhere. And they got Andy Ludwig as their offensive coordinator who is making a million dollars a year and doesn't really want to be a head coach. Like, he's just he knows he's a coordinator, which I think is a remarkable thing. And then you got Morgan Scally on the defensive side of the ball. He's really happy there. So, like, Utah, you know, is playing by different rules, and it's really not fair because everybody else, if they have great success, is going to have to reload. Even USC, Lincoln Riley, you look at Alex Grinch on the defensive side of the ball, it's possible that Arizona State or Colorado tries to hire Grinch. And I think everybody's going to be in jeopardy of losing assistance, Oregon in particular, because it is a little bit transient, and, you know, it's it's in your face. Like, how do you miss what Oregon did on the offensive side of the ball last week? You know, you just can't ignore that. And that's but, why I think the college football playoff discussion is, you know, relevant for this team, because you just it's easy to talk yourself into what could Oregon's ceiling be. But then again, are we getting too far ahead of ourselves? Like, is Oregon yes. an Autzen team? And they're not necessarily, yeah. like, they still went to Pullman and should not have won the game. They nope. should not have won the game. So are we really saying that, hey, they should be a CFP contender? No. Look what they did. It's like, no. Well, let's be real. Like, we're what we're doing is we're advocating on behalf of the Pac-12. And we're saying a conference champion with 12 wins, damn it, deserves that respect. And the truth is, in this conference, look, going into the weekend, Home favorites were thirty and one in games. They would, they you know, in winning the game outright. If you're a home favorite, you win the game. Look what happened. Oregon was a home favorite. They won the game. Oregon State was a home favorite. They won the game. Um, you know, you start looking at that and you start going, you know what? Uh, the home field advantage in the Pac-12 is really something else because you know, even Stanford, Stanford beat Arizona State. Oregon State beat Colorado. The only home team that lost uh, in the weekend was Cal. And guess what? Cal wasn't a home favorite. So, you know, I think the home favorites now are 33-1 and in winning the game. So it's, you know, it's it does have something to do with Autzen Stadium, of course. Uh, all right, we're going to have to, are we going to play punch it here or not? We want to do it? You want to do it or you want to wait one more? You've got so Let's much Let's take a audio. break. <laughs> Come back. Some punch it audio. I got Mario Cristobal. We got Aaron Judge, Jonathan Smith, Bo Nix. You're going to hear from them all next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I feel misled. I got to be honest. My daughter's tricked me. I feel tricked in my own household. I said, uh, you know, for years we had these two little dogs. They were, they were frou-frou dogs. That's the best way I can describe them. They're called Havanese dogs. Anna's popped into the studio. Would you call them frou-frou dogs? Is that what you say? We oh. still have them. Okay. They're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, Just for the record, we, have... we spoke about them in past tense like they're passed away. Do you think it's bad? They're still here in our home. Do you think it's bad? Do you think the dogs <laughs> can tell that I'm talking yes! about them in yes! past tense? Yes. Yes, they absolutely can. Because the truth is, you would never, 
in any kind of serious relationship, and I would say a dog is a serious relationship, you would never start talking about the replacement of said individuals or individual uh, in front of them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You never... They but, know. But they yet know. we talk a lot about the we. next dog. We? We? I talk a lot about the next dog. And I want a real dog, a proper dog. I want a Labrador. I want a, you know, I want something that gets out of the car and people go, whoa, whoa, is he friendly? That's the dog I want, right? I don't want the dog where people are like, oh, the hair bow's so cute. That's not a proper dog. But those are the dogs we have. Now, Judah and Stephen, you know, I've been for about, about eight years, I have been told I get to pick the next dog. Except Anna and the girls the other day came to me and said they got a friend who's getting a dog called a sheep doodle. Sheep doodle. Sheep doodle, not to be confused with a shep doodle. A shep doodle is a golden, no, a German shepherd poodle cross. A sheep doodle is a sheep dog in poodle cross. So this is a dog park conversation. It is totally a dog park um, conversation. But yeah. they're now looking at me with puppy dog eyes saying, oh, can we get the sheep doodle? The oh, sheep doodle's not, not quite the dog I was looking for, guys. <laughs> should I put my foot down or, or am I, you know, should I just grant this one? All right, the dog thing is belongs to you guys. You know, this may be surprising to you guys, but... Not a big dog guy. Not a big per- not a big animal guy. Um, Shocking. Yeah. Not very- a concert. Shocking. Let's put it on the list. Let's yeah. What's what else is on not the list? Not a Halloween guy. Not, not a concert guy. Not Doesn't- a water guy. Not a dog guy. I don't. I don't really like dogs at all. Um. So. If I were you, I would put my foot down. Like, if my wife and my kids were like, yeah, I need a dog, I'd be like, no, we don't need a dog. Uh, we have people that have dogs. So I'm with you, John. I think you need to stand up for yourself on this one. I think I need to get some dignity. <laughs> Judah, Judah, come on. Well, Way in here. Steven's got boys, you know, and uh, yeah. John, you got little girls. So I, know. I think you got to put your tail between your legs and take the L here. <laughs> Oh, I see what you did. All there. these dog puns. Yeah. Okay, there's some more context to this conversation that he's not providing which is that uh about a month and a half ago he started having the conversation with Eh, the six-year-old preliminary discussions on what was going to be the next dog and they had already sort of concluded that this next dog was going to be like a golden retriever true or a lab but anna it wasn't like it was imminent this was a bedtime conversation. This is almost like something you said when you were drunk. This is unofficial. Okay. Unofficial, yeah. yeah. But she's six, so any conversation you know that you have with a six-year-old, it's imminent. They no, that, have no sense good, of time or That place. is a good point. That is a great point, Anna. So <laughs> in, in her <laughs> world... Stephen, you're not helping me. Sorry, sorry. You're helping me, world, then not helping me. Helping yeah, me, then not helping me. It was a great point. How can I deny a great point? <laughs> Very diplomatic of you. Thank you. So in her world, this golden retriever puppy was going to be showing up the next day. Okay, here's what I was thinking. She was going to bed. She said... Dad, is the next dog we get going to be a golden retriever? And I said, you're darn right it is. It's going to be a proper dog. Like, we're going to get a full-size dog. This is going to be this dog's going to be a problem. That's how big this dog's going to be. And she went to bed dreaming about the dogs. Now, I can't control that she was drunk on the euphoria of getting a golden retriever and came to you the next day and said, Dad said, what'd she say? I don't even know. It wasn't just me. She started telling all her friends at school that her dad said she's getting a golden retriever. Which <laughs> It's I, not a lie. Technically, it's true. <laughs> I did say that. Which I was fine with, except 
I, when it comes to a golden retriever, I'm the one that's going to have to clean up after this thing when it sheds. Uh, all over the place. Okay, I'm glad you said sheds because I'm the one that cleans up when it's not shedding. Um, <laughs> but here was the thing she did, and it's brilliant. It's a brilliant sales tactic. She switched pitched me. She Anna then changed the conversation with the girls to, you know what? We shouldn't get a golden. Your friend at school is getting a sheep doodle. Look at these cute little puppies and started showing them pictures and stuff. And soon enough, I was three on one where they were going, Dad, we got to get one from this litter. Dad, come on. So, come on. <laughs> Welcome to our dog saga. Anyway, I, I uh, digress. All right, we got some good sound in Punch It Audio. Mario Cristobal is in Punch It Audio. We got some Bo Nix in there, some Jonathan Smith, some Dan Lanning. Wow. Everything that was said over the weekend, Aaron Judge and the Yankees, way in over their heads, apparently. We didn't know this. Uh, <laughs> all of that part of Punch and Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Miami and Mario Cristobal. They are struggling. Latest loss came at the hands of basketball power Duke. Mario Cristobal in the post-game news conference, not happy. Punch it. Uh, I think we all know that... You know, it's been inadequate for a while and um, maybe rationalized for a while, but there's, we're not going to do that. We came here on a mission with a purpose, understanding that it's going to take tough-minded people with the right demeanor that can approach it the right way and fully invest in our players and the program. That's what it's taken when we went to Rutgers, when we spent time at Oregon, all the places we've been at. And it's no different here. No different there. Mario Cristobal doing a nice job of changing the conversation. It's been inadequate for a while. That was brilliant. Because he's basically saying, I inherited this mess. You know, and look, they haven't been good on the field. I had told Anna this over the weekend. You know, you really can't judge a coach. You can't judge Dan Lanning yet, even though you're encouraged. You can't judge Mario Cristobal, even though you might be discouraged. You need He needs to be able to get his guys in there and show you what he can do. And I think, you know, Miami, uh, obviously a bad start. I don't think this plays to Cristobal's strength. He's not a great game coach. He's not going to make more with what he has. He generally recruits really well, has better players, underachieves a little bit, but still wins 10 games because he's got the better players. That's who he is as a coach. And see, my question to you over the weekend, because I was reading about, you know, how he was taking a lot of heat for the losses, especially to Duke. He was playing their football team, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> just clarifying. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I wanted to kind of know, is he making the same kind of coaching, clock management, end-of-game mistakes there that plagued him at Oregon? I think you, there's some similarities, but he doesn't have – as much talent yet experienced talent at Miami and likewise look what Dan Lanning's doing at Oregon Mario Cristobal on his way out what did he say I left a bunch of talent the, all those puppies I left on the roster he knew what he was doing he like he does a really good job of promoting himself he does yeah. like we gotta get you know and you you like that when he's your head coach and when he's not you kinda look at it and go okay I get what you're saying there but I do think Mario Cristobal will turn around 
I do think Miami will win with Cristobal when they get better players, but I also think he is always going to be held back by the fact that he wants to be conservative. He's going to put the offensive coordinator in a headlock. He would not have onside kicked against UCLA. He would not have gone for it on fourth down so many times against UCLA. It's just not in his nature. So I think Oregon fans are probably happier with the staff they had, but let's recognize that Mario Cristobal's performance in Miami this year is probably a reflection of the fact that he's not a great game coach and he doesn't yet have enough experienced talent. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, they are six-win team. They are bowl eligible, and it's only October. Here's Jonathan Smith, punch it. Yeah, um, it, there's no question it's satisfying to, to feel like we're in a, a, a lot better place um, in year five than we were in year one. A lot of heavy lifting. Uh, appreciate the, the efforts of really everyone involved. Yeah, you know, we got a coaching staff that's been pretty consistent, got continuity there. We got an administration that supports us, a fan base that's uh, continued to support us, and um, and so yeah, it feels good if you take the time to think back a lot about 2018. Look, they they are really good at home, and they may have stole one against Stanford, but they stole it, and I like that they went and won the game. That's the point of playing the game. They did what they should do against Washington State. They did what they should do against Colorado. But here's the big test. It comes up uh, November 4th, Friday night game. Oregon State will be at Washington. That's the next time they play. 7.30 at Husky Stadium. The road teams in those Friday night games really seem to struggle. This is the opportunity for Oregon State. Because if they win that one, they have Cal at home. They go to Arizona State. Look out. They could be 9-2 and two going to the game formerly known as the Civil War. Jonathan Smith is so understated. Just one of these times. When something happens in the game, like Jack Coletto, you know, crushes some play, I want to see him chest bump someone or just thump his own chest with his fists or something like that. I just think it's so funny how, how like, understated he is. Yeah, like, based off that comment, like, he has done such a good job. I think it's been better than anyone could expect it. He acted like it wasn't even a big deal, you know? Like, know. <laughs> are you even excited? I don't know. Dan Lanning after the Oregon win, talked about the onside kick. They had practiced it during the week. Media members who saw it were sworn to secrecy. Here's Dan Lanning. Punch it. I think some of you guys might have been at practice earlier this week, and I told you don't tell anybody or I'll never let you come to practice again. Right? You saw us practicing that. Appreciate it. You guys kept your lips sealed. So we knew that was something we wanted to do. We wanted to practice it in pressure situations throughout the week. We had a couple pressure kicks that we did early on. And... Um, it was there. We saw it after the first kickoff that we felt like, okay, that's the look we want. We think we got a chance for it. The second kickoff, we thought it was there as well. And then the third one, it was actually the worst look that we had, but we still felt really confident in it. Um, it looked like there was some weather coming in, right? We felt like if there was a chance to steal a possession, it would be before the weather really hit. It turned out some weather came, but um, we knew in that game, especially once we received the kick, that, hey, we want to look to try to get, get a possession, an extra possession if we can, because we weren't going to get the ball at half. I had wondered which coaching staff would make better use of the extra week of practice. And at that moment at Autzen Stadium when he did the onside kick, you know, it was really back and forth. They were trading scores. UCLA, you know, Oregon wasn't stopping them. They were holding them to field goals, but they weren't stopping them. That changed the game. And at that moment I went, there was the extra week. Oregon, Dan Lanning, that was the extra week. He stole a possession. Look at him building rapport with the media there. How brilliant of him. Are you sworn, like, if you go to a practice and you see something like that, you're a reporter. 
Uh, I know, but the beauty of that is he asked them to keep it secret, and they apparently did so, and now they feel like they've got a real rapport with that guy. Chip Kelly, spinning, spinning, spinning. Here he is at practice today for UCLA. What did he make of losing at Oregon? The one thing I told those guys as I walked off the tunnel going into the game is it had been 357 days since we lost our last game. You know? So I think we have to understand that. You know, we, we last loss we had before that was on October 30th in 2021. You know, and I think they righted the ship and did a great job finishing out the last season with three wins and then starting off this season with six wins. There was only one other team in the country, Clemson, that had more wins than us in that, over that span of time. So this is a really good football team. We didn't play up to what we should have played on Saturday. Um, and then we'll move on. We'll see what the rest of the season turns itself out. But our whole mantra since the beginning of the season is pick your head up in December and we'll see if our body of work is good enough for us to have an opportunity to continue to play after December. So. Yeah, look, I think he's doing what he can do to keep confidence for his team. I think anybody knows it's tough to go on the road in the Pac-12. It's really tough to go to Autzen Stadium or Rice-Eccles Stadium or Reeser Stadium right now. But let's, uh, let's be fair. UCLA pulled out of the Holiday Bowl. They were supposed to play at North Carolina State. They backed out of the Holiday Bowl last December. They might have sandwiched a loss in there, but Chip Kelly pointing out it had almost been a year. 357 days. Wow. Almost got through it. That was good, too. Almost. almost. That was really good, too. Yeah. <laughs> really, really nice. Let's hear the play that flipped the game. The onside kick on Fox. Here was the call. Brock Heward and company on the broadcast. Oh, onside kick. Oregon, an onside kick. And brilliantly punched forward. Andrew Boyle. Wow. And look at the little block from his buddy Jamal Hill. Does just enough. Doesn't hit that UCLA defender before 10 yards either. There you go. Well executed. Oregon saw something it liked, and it and it basically outchipped Chip Kelly. And you know, I think there was a little bit of an ode to Chip Kelly in that game multiple times. The onside kick, the swinging gate play. They lined up. That was an old Chip Kelly formation. They went for it on fourth down three times. Got it three times. Oregon played hurry up a couple times. Caught UCLA one time with uh, with a personnel uh, shift. And you know, I there was just a little Chip Kelly flavor sprinkled over the top of that game. Uh, let's go to Aaron Judge in the Yankees. Uh, Jeff Passan uh, on first take talking about the Yankees and Astros. Uh, final uh, with the Astros, uh, uh, you know, basically landed on the Yankees. They got outclassed. They didn't just get beaten. They got beaten down. And the Houston Astros have been a better team than the Yankees for going on five years now. Yes. But this was a different level. This was a sweep. This was an embarrassment. This was the Yankees being shown that they're not just not on the Astros level. They're not even close right now. Hey, look, I get it. Not just beat, beat down, all that stuff. Uh, I used to work with Jeff Passan at the Fresno B. I I think he's good on baseball. But let's make no mistake, baseball comes down to who's playing the best ball at the time they play. The Phillies are a great example of that as they find themselves in the World Series. Nobody would have picked the Phillies to be there. And the Astros are in their second straight World Series, fourth in the past six seasons. The Phillies, meanwhile, are on the other side, haven't been there for 11 years. I know who America's rooting for. They're going to root against the Astros. Um, you know, But for people who are 
interested in you know why this happened or didn't happen. I kind of wonder how much the Yankees got caught up in the Aaron Judge chasing Maris circus at the end of the year. I don't know. I think only they can speak to that. Aaron Judge was asked uh, after the game what he thinks about his future. Here's the Yankee slugger talking about uh, you know what is on the horizon for him. Punch it. Not at all about what comes next for you. Uh, not not at all. Not yet. Not yet. We got uh, I got I got plenty of time to figure that out. Did you spend any time today thinking about how this could be the last game home game for you here? Did no. You take anything in? No, not at all. Not at all. I try to go out there and do my job and you know help this team win. And um, I really didn't I really didn't think it was. What about after it was over? Uh, it, it happened so quick. You don't really, you know, have time to soak much in. Now, keep an eye on Judge. He's a free agent. He bet on himself last year, did not sign the extension with the Yankees, and so he will be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, there's some speculation. MLB.com's Mark Feinson uh, says that he believes the Dodgers can become a serious player here if they, you know, don't make a run at re-signing Trey Turner. They could shift Mookie Betts, their right fielder, to second base and put Aaron Judge in the outfield is Aaron Judge going to play for the Yankees next season? Steven, Judah, what do you think? Uh, I think no. I'm looking at Bet Online. They got odds for it. If he's not on the Yankees right now, your Giants are the favorite. Uh, <laughs> then it's uh, the Mets, Dodgers, Astros, Red Sox, Rangers. So, you know, it seems like, you know, everything. In it, he could have signed there in New York, and it seemed like he didn't want to, and then he was being booed by the fans during the ALCS. It yep. seems like he's gone. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Uh, he's a California native. I think he go he finds his way out to California with his next contract and kind of shoves it to the Yankees for not giving him the big deal when he deserved it last year. They need a middle-of-the-order guy, the Giants do. They went after Bryce Harper. Will they go after Judge? All right, that's Punch It Audio. More ahead. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Troop with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, so I wanted to watch the Niners play the Chiefs yesterday. I texted Judah Newby. I texted Steven. I thought, these guys are going to know. Anna, you saw me. I was hunkered down on the sofa the game stood kicked off at 125. I was like, I was like, it was like I was doing our tax return. You know, I was like, yeah, you I had was, that look. I was like, don't anybody bother me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how how to uh, do uh, cold fusion over here. Uh huh. Um, and it's true because the game is on Fox, and normally when I want to watch the Niners and they're on Fox, Fox gives me the Niners, but. It happened to be Justin Herbert and the Chargers playing against the Seahawks at exactly the same time the Niners were playing, which meant Fox 12 in Oregon was going to make a programming decision that, you know, like, is that the right decision? It was 100% the okay. right decision. It yes. is, ex except it doesn't work for me. Kind of hosed you. It hosed me badly. For everyone else, for lots of other people, it now, was a good decision. we have Hulu. <laughs> we have a subscription to the Fox Sports app. We have Sling. 
We have Paramount. Cutting we the have, cord was supposed to save us money. We have it a did lot of these for a things. While. We still I don't think we're paying as much as no. Direct TV. Yeah, yeah. But I ran into a conundrum <laughs> because after checking around, what I was able to do is on Sling you could get the red zone. Yeah. But Steven, have you ever tried to watch football that you really care about on the red zone? Yeah, you, you can't. If you care about a game, the red zone's not it. <laughs> you could wait till your team gets in the red zone. And then watch it. And then it cuts to and then whatever. It cuts to Carolina. Okay. You know? So and then whatever. It, yeah, catch them, call a timeout. So I was, la- worst case scenario, what I was going to do was put the game on the red zone, and then I was going to put the radio broadcast, like on, you know, the speakers in the house, and I was just going to go, okay, this is what I'll do. But uh, I found a workaround, guys. I'm going to share it on air because I feel like it's a public service, and I do think it's ethical and legal. Okay. Can I share this workaround that I found? Because I solved it, and I have never been more proud of myself than solving this. And people who have tried to find the Pac-12 network or tried to get their NFL game or whatnot, you know what I've been through. A lot of people give up and just go to a sports bar or whatnot. It's like a digital obstacle course. It took me about 45 minutes. But I, I checked with DirecTV. We don't have DirecTV anymore. But I checked just to say, like, can I just get the Sunday Ticket app? Because there's an app that is a Sunday Ticket ticket app and you can get it on apple tv or roku or whatever device you have and it turns out that uh we're not eligible to get the sunday ticket app because they want you to get direct tv but i noticed on their website that there was this other little offer for college students and we happen to know a college student (laughs) (laughs) the offer is and this is i think it's designed for college students who are living away from home, maybe they're in a dorm, maybe they're somewhere else, they can get the Sunday Tip Ticket app and get a subscription. Now, you need to have a college student in your life for this reason because for, I think it's 112 bucks for the whole season on the Sunday Ticket, the college student can sign up for the uh, DirecTV Sunday Ticket app and you can stream it on your, house, on your own device if you happen to if that college student will give you the login now the way they check the college student is it has to be a public university you have to you actually have to know the college student they have to be in on it because if they're not in on it it isn't going to work because you need their name you need their date of birth and you need an email address for them and you so you need their cooperation on this Uh, but what i was able to do in about 15 minutes was sign up our college student for a direct tv sunday ticket subscription and then i just i logged in and lo and behold the 49ers appeared on the screen in front of me and you stopped sweating profusely and i texted (laughs) my friend brian who's a niner fan who was in the same conundrum and i was like i'm a genius over here i've never been more proud of myself than i was at that moment at 125 yesterday as i tuned in and i got it guys so that's the workaround so take you know adopt a college student take in a college student Send one to college. Send them prematurely. Like if a kid is going, hey, I don't know if I should go to college. <laughs> yes, you should. And, and by the way, you may hear from me in October when my team's playing and I can't get them on regular Fox. That is impressive, I will say, to figure that out. Um, I would not have thought of that. So I, I'm going to tip my hat to you. Uh, man, I got that text from you. and Of course, <laughs> I didn't know the answer. Yeah. But I was like. Uh, he'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah, you had that tone. You weren't really going to be helpful. Neither one of you really was. Oh, he was uh, reaching out to you guys yeah. for help? Yeah. I, just, I didn't want to come out and just say, yeah, you're going to have to illegal stream it. 
I, that's exactly what I was going to text, but well, I didn't want the paper trail. Yeah, I don't think he even knows how to <laughs> do that. I don't know that. how to do that. Yeah. But Anna you was watching. you got to be comfortable getting viruses on your laptop. I may or may oh. not have to watch the Blazers that way. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, Jeez, guys, guys, I have a Sunday ticket subscription if you guys are in a Isn't pitch. Isn't that backwards? Like, I thought it was the college student that was supposed to rack up charges on the I parents' know. account. I just told my kid saying, "Hey, Dad, I'm seeing this charge on my account." Hey, we might as well get something back if we're paying the tuition check. We might as well get something in return. I told my kid, "Hey, you're signed up for the Sunday ticket. (laughs) I need that code that got sent to your email." All I need is like the template of how like the Beaver students have their email set up. Yeah, and I'll just uh, get Tristan Jebbia to get me some. What I figured out after is you don't even need their email. You just need their date of birth. Oh, so heck yeah. if, if you know a college student who's willing to just tell you their date of birth and you know where they go to school. I'm really uncomfortable with this. I, right I'm now. not saying it's a new it, side job for college kids. <laughs> sell, sell for 20 bucks, yeah. I'll tell you my date of birth. And by the way, you have Tristan Jebby on like a hotline or something there, Judah? What's good? You're just going to DM him and be like, hey, what's that code that just went to your OSU email account? <laughs> hey, bro, what's your birthday? I need yeah. that. Hey, bro. I need your code now. Do you even Sunday ticket, bro? Like... I think we have the same birthday. Bro. What's your birthday? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Brilliant. Oh, no, we don't. But let me write no, that down. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so uh, Jaden on Thursday's interview. Jayden. Yeah. Here's the problem, though. I watched the game, and the Niners just aren't there. Like, the Chiefs are clearly better, and Patrick Mahomes is ridiculous on – uh, the Chiefs are like 48% on third down for the season. The league average is 24%. That's that's obscene. Hmm. On third and long this year, I think they're converting like something around 40% of their third and sevens or longer. Yeah, I saw a few of those. <laughs> that's crazy. So you tried to watch the Niners. You got the Niner game, and you still couldn't watch the Niners because they didn't yeah. show up. They didn't show. I watched the whole thank you. I watched I watched it until about two minutes to go and then I flipped over to the Seahawks to the Seahawks game. Charger game <laughs> on Fox twelve. K V T V. Yeah. Krepke coming through. And and uh uh Krepke's one of my favorite people in Portland media and he like I'll have to thank him for that because I tuned in just in time to see the Seahawks rip off like a seventy five yard touchdown run to at the end of that game that pretty much made that game over too and so at that point i ended up watching a game show <laughs> i turned it to that the cube have you guys seen the cube i have no idea what this show is about i watched it for about five minutes and i gave up you know it was just uh i don't it, like the new game shows i liked the old game shows with like betty white yeah you know and ava gabor why do you think betty white did a game show yeah why do you think uh those old game shows a, why were they so popular? And why was Betty White, like, on every game show? Um, well, she was smart. Like, she was getting out there, you know. I think this was prior to Golden Girls. Yeah. Being on a game show sure beat, like, the stand-up scene, I'm sure, you know, yeah. like the stand-up comedy club routine. I'm sure her. it was more steady work. Yeah, yeah, but, it was pretty smart. I mean, but, if you yeah. think about it, she was on, like, every game show. You turn on the TV and, like, there's Betty White again on $25,000 Pyramid. Here yeah. she is on the match game. And yep. I watched all of them. I know I you loved did. Those shows when I was little. <laughs> My shows were Family Feud. Yeah. With Richard Dawson, may yeah. he rest in peace. And it was Joker's Wild. Joker's with Wink Wild. Wink Martindale was the host of Joker's Wild. I never Wild. understood that Joker, show. Joker, Joker. You know. Yeah, it, it had it like the spin. scrolling thing. You'd spin. Yeah, yeah. And it, there were three wheels. Yeah. And if they came up three Jokers, you won. I can't remember what you had to do, but you know. It was just a chance game. Yeah, but there were some questions you had to answer. Maybe huh. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I know, never. I, I didn't get it. Um, 
things get we have complicated game shows now. Really? With music, you know, like heavy dramatic music. Dong, dong. Oh, Masked Singer final, is good. Final answer. I don't like the Masked Singer. No. 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 Masked Dancer, Masked no. Singer. No. All those Nothing things. Nothing Masked. Was Tom Brady ever on the Masked Singer? There was the rumors. Did he ever show up? <laughs> I don't know. Tom Brady. I watched Masked one episode singer. and I went, this is the stupidest thing ever. Do you do it during his retirement? That, you know that the, was the rumor. The Masked Singer makes me think about is YouTube because I think it's the same brain chemistry. Like, there's a reason why people watch those stupid YouTube videos where, you know, they take forever to open a package. It's like kids opening, like, a egg, and you don't know what's inside of it. There's a brain chemistry thing, or you need the payoff. It's the, uh, you know, it's the oxytocin. It's the endorphins that you get from, from actually seeing that thing open and getting the satisfaction of knowing what was in the package or the egg or whatever they were opening. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the mass Singer is the same thing. It's a lot of delayed gratification. Uh -huh. Like we, like just take the damn mask off. Like, all right, let him sing. Let us guess. Take the mask off. Yeah. Like, why are we having to wait? Tom Brady has refuted that he was on the Masked Singer. There was lots of rumors about it, but I guess he never really was. Well, there you have that. Tom Brady. How did they lose to Carolina? That's the other thing. How did they lose that game? They, they are in a world of hurt, man. <laughs> Well, after the game, there's a video of uh, Mike Evans signing autographs for the yeah. ref. That's, uh, that's a big no-no. NFL is looking into that. Yeah. That's a weird one, too, because, like, technically refs aren't supposed to do that, right? right. Yeah. But then It's a violation of the rules. Right. But then also it's like, was the ref just getting an autograph for his grandkid or something? He was having you know? him sign his card that he keeps during the game. Yeah. Probably for yeah. some nostalgic reason, but the NFL, it's a rule. Yeah. You're not supposed to get an autograph. Media member, you're not supposed to get an autograph. Mm -hmm. You're not there to get an autograph. You're there to work. Yeah. Don't be a fanboy. You can't be a fan and be an official. You can't. Yeah. Against the rules. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, if you're a sports fan in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the, over the weekend was great. Ducks won, Beavers won, every small college won, Blazers are 3-0. and But uh, it was a pretty cool scene uh, as the Thorns advanced to the NWSL championship. Here's the final call. Uh, CBS Sports Network had it. The Portland Thorns, the most prolific playoff team in NWSL history, returns to the NWSL Championship off the foot of the resurgent Crystal Dunn. Crystal Dunn in uh, stoppage time uh, with the game winner. Listen to this. Header is knotted down. Follow up from Dunn! San Diego again and puts that one right into a danger zone and done wise to it takes that one on the half goal and absolutely smashes it into that top corner what a strike falling away from it snappy finish that is a thing of beauty to set this crowd on fire crystal dunn came off the bench scored in the second half in stoppage time gave the thorns a 2-1 victory 
over San Diego in the NWSL semifinal. Big win. We're talking about a, a team that ultimately has had a bunch of problems, been in the news for a bunch of things that, uh, you know, you're disappointed with management, you're disappointed with ownership, and yet here comes the team. Anna, five months ago, she had a baby. <laughs> I mean, that is incredible as well as just – what an emotional um, and turbulent season this has been for them. So this is exactly what they needed. I loved that, you know, 22,000 people were there to see this happen, to support the players. Like, that that's how it should be. You know, the players need to know this. They need to know that the people of Portland love them and support them. And uh, I, I'm just so impressed by their resilience this season. Huge goal. And I'm, I still just come back to the fact that, Look, it was somebody called it a miracle goal, like one of the headlines. It was not a miracle. It was a great play. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it just came at a time in which that franchise needed something big. And for Crystal Dunn to score five months ago, she's in a delivery room. <laughs> now she's delivering the thorns to the championship. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, we're here in the happy hour. We're here in the happy hour to take you right into Monday Night Football in 7.50 the game. Said a lot of controversial things on this show over the years. I caught a lot of grief a couple weeks ago. When I said, I wasn't really into Legos. I got a friend who's really into Legos who happened to be listening to the show. Feel bad about that. But I just wasn't. My parents didn't give me Legos, Anna. Is that my fault? Like, we weren't a big Lego family. It's not your fault. I mean, you could have acquired them later on your own. What do you mean? Like, when I was eight? <laughs> on the black market, on the playground, I could have bought some Lego sets? You got your first job at, what, 12? <laughs> you know, you could have made some purchases. I was too into baseball cards. There you go. To dabble in Legos, but our kids are into Legos. I heard something the other day about building resilience in kids, and how is it that kids, you know, wind up having confidence. And it was really interesting, because it was like, kids need to learn on their own, like, how to make a buck. Like, those lemonade stands and selling baseball cards when you were little, all of that, like, those are building blocks to who you become someday. I was hustling, man. I, I, I had know. a I had a gig one time, Christmas time. It wasn't Christmas time, but it was in the run-up to the holidays. I was selling greeting cards. I was probably 10 or 11. Yeah, this is a good one. I went door-to-door selling greeting cards to people who literally did not want to buy greeting cards. It was a lot of rejection, and I did it on my own. My parents were like, what are you doing? And I was I saw it in the back of a magazine like I was reading some little you know baseball card magazine or some other magazine. I saw a little yeah. advertisement. So I went door-to-door -door selling greeting cards to people who were like, I can get a greeting card at the store, but you can't get these kinds of greeting cards, right. sir, right. from a 10-year-old kid. But think about what you learned like after all those rejections. And yeah. was it before or after that you, that you sold mistletoe in like little uh, plastic after. baggies outside a grocery after, store? After, because what I picked up in selling the greeting cards was that people really didn't want were interested in the cards. If they were going to buy, it was because they were buying from a charming 10-year-old kid uh -huh. who had a sales pitch. I remember one guy in particular, never forget what he said. He said, I'm going to buy these cards, and I'm going to, I pay for them when I get them. And I said, no, you pay up front. And he says, well, your name is Mud if I don't get my cards. And I thought to myself, he trusts me. 
to bring the cards back because he's paying me in advance for these stupid greeting cards. So what I got into was the business. Uh, I noticed in one of my parents' trees in the front yard, they had this giant walnut tree. I climbed up it, and I noticed they had mistletoe in the top of the tree. I harvested all that mistletoe. took me about an hour. <laughs> put it in baggies. And my mom was going to the grocery store. I said, can I go with you? She said, sure. I said, I'm just going to hang out in front of the store. No questions were asked. But I sold mistletoe in front of the store for like a buck fifty a bag, two bucks a bag, whatever I was getting at the time. I sold all of it. Because who's going to say no to some 10-year-old kid <laughs> selling mistletoe? You know? It's good stuff. You know, I, I had a sales pitch. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I agree with you. I, th I think part of it is you just got to learn to, uh, you know, to talk to people. Uh -huh. You got to learn to make mistakes. You got to learn to fail. Oh, there's so much to be learned. There's things yeah. about like marketing, marketing, and yep. uh, you know, figuring out the strategy on what will sell, and understanding timing and location. Like, there's so much that goes into. I that. used to tell uh, women in particular when they were walking in the store, I would hold up the mistletoe, yes, and I'd say, "You clearly don't need this, <laughs> but someone in your life." And they would laugh. See, and you were you were just preparing yeah. for everything that you're yeah. doing now. You you don't need mistletoe, ma'am. But you know, someone in your life may. Right. And they would laugh and they'd go, Let me get two bucks out it's and like, they'd buy a bag. How is that any different from shoe mill? Dude, you don't need these Ugg boots, but your yeah. wife or That's, your you know, the woman well, you in gotta, your life might want them. You're right? damn right. And you gotta believe in it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're wearing Uggs right now. I am. Look down at your feet, lady. I, I, I know. I know. You need some mistletoe, too? <laughs> Judah, you need a bag of mistletoe? I got you covered. You're still slinging it? I, uh. I still, to this day, look for it in trees. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That's not hard. They're not harvesting around here like they should be. But the other problem is, nowadays, nobody lets their kids go door to door. Well, yeah. Because you're afraid your kid's going to get nabbed. Do you blame yeah. them? No, but... Things are actually safer now. Than is it, though? Ago. What yes. was Nothing ever happened to me. Violent crimes and kidnappings are way down. You know, way down. maybe my parents were hoping I would get kidnapped. I don't know. <laughs> Just like, maybe they were like, depends on the you day. should go door to door. <laughs> go in that neighborhood, John. <laughs> and I'd come home, they'd be like, damn. You know, you, didn't, uh, you made it home. All right, we're going to do the five at five. This is the five biggest stories in sports. Let's do it. The five at five. Well, in the NBA, a directive has gone out. Get this. NBA wants all of the announcers who were not on the road with their teams at the beginning of the season to get sent on the road for away games. The NBA has told the regional sports networks, including Root Sports and others, that they want the broadcasters to be in-house. No more of this going on the cheap, having your broadcasters produce games remotely this happened in covid and i think a lot of nba teams were looking to save some dollars including the blazers blazers backed off of that stance after public outcry but the nba believes that the quality of the telecasts are suffering when the announcers are calling games remotely uh sports business journal's john orand reporting that the nba wants announcers back on the road number two anna go oh it's here the first ever power slap promo from Dana White. If you haven't seen this, you gotta <laughs> check it out. This is real, guys. It's happening. It's a 30-second video. It ran during UFC 280, and it's a little preview of what slap fighting is going to be all about. Uh, Do we need an explainer? Well... Uh, it's slap fighting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's very visual. So I, I imagine that it's going to be one of those things that if aliens came down and they witnessed it, they were like, this is what humans are doing for entertainment. Yeah, we need to be have this on our planet. But nope. yeah, it's two competitors standing across a small table from one another and taking turns slapping each other until somebody can't quit, can't, can't continue. Number three in our five at five, Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian under fire opened his news conference today uh, apologizing to fans. After Saturday's 41-34 loss to Oklahoma State, he left the field without singing the school fight song, The Eyes of Texas. He said, I owe an apology to Longhorn Nation. I made a mistake at the end of the game and not singing. It's really interesting because I think you can lose games, but what you can't do is you can't lose fans and you can't lose donors this early in Sark's career. He made this mistake before. He did this at USC. So I think it's interesting. Texas has like seven wins written all over them, and it's really disappointing because I think they're better than that. But Sark with a misfire after the loss. Anna, number four, go. Okay, we mentioned this, but I'll go into more detail about it. Two referees that uh, apparently asked for Mike Evans' autograph after the Buccaneers game yesterday has the NFL investigating this. The footage shows the two refs, uh, side judge Jeff Lamberth and line judge Trip Sutter running up to Evans with a piece of paper and a pen. This was footage that was shot from inside the tunnel at the stadium in Charlotte. Uh, they both had Evans sign the paper and then three of them hastily, you know, went deeper into the stadium. It's unclear at this point what punishment, if any, they will face over it all. Yeah. Finally, number five, Michigan and Penn State got into a shouting match in the tunnel at Michigan Stadium during their game on uh, October 15th, nine days ago. After the game, James Franklin, the Penn State coach, said, hey, there should be a policy in place to keep that from happening. But Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh thinks otherwise. Today, Harbaugh told reporters he doesn't think there's an issue. He said Penn State stopped in the tunnel. They weren't letting us get up the tunnel, and it was a sophomoric ploy designed to keep us out of our locker room. He pointed at James Franklin and said he was the ringleader of the whole thing. Franklin made comments after the game saying he would prefer there to be a buffer between the teams. Harbaugh says it's their fault. Some bad blood. Penn State and Michigan. There you go. That's all you need. Two very decent but not great teams uh, slap fighting in the tunnel, essentially. <laughs> all right. Uh, Monday Night Football is coming up right here on 750 The Game. We have great shows tomorrow. We have big guests all week long. Want you here for it. Grab a podcast of the show if that's your thing, and we're back tomorrow.